Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by guest Joel Pilger, who helps great creatives run great creative companies. As a rev thinker, Joel has advised hundreds of creative firms based in 23 countries around the world. He is the host of the Rev Thinking Podcast, as well as the host of regular cohort retreats and dinners for creative entrepreneurs in New York, LA, and London. Joel, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jonathan. How are you? Great. So what does a rev thinker do? <laughs> uh, I don't know. And if you find out, would you please let me know? Because um, <laughs> it's been an evolving journey. I would say this, that uh, for maybe the past five years after I, I sold my creative firm that I ran, it was a studio and production company, I started consulting. But the word consultant didn't really fit. And one of our clients actually dubbed us rev thinkers. He said, you guys aren't consultants. That sounds like a banker or a lawyer or something or an accountant. Uh, so a rev thinker is, is someone who comes alongside an owner, a creative, a creative entrepreneur and helps them run or her run a really successful creative firm. That's the nutshell. Gotcha. And, and, uh, actually, uh, today we want to talk about positioning, which I think is an important tool in that toolkit. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Essential. Great. Okay. So why is positioning so important for a creative firm? Why is it critical to the success? Well, it's critical because there are wonderful problems out there in the world that creative entrepreneurs have the privilege of solving. But the problems aren't going to find you if you live in this what I call sea of sameness. (laughs) And that is most creative firms, if you go to websites, and these are solopreneurs, you know, one person shops up to large firms that are doing 10, $20 million a year and have 50 people or so forth. Right. Uh, there's, there's been a tradition of positioning based on a, a what for who, uh, very commodity-based, service-based that used to work. And that's why uh, it, it, it came about in the first place. But in today's market, for the problems to find you, you have to be very well positioned so that people really understand who are you, what are you about, what's the value that you offer the world. Right. So I talk about um, making yourself the go-to person for for your area of expertise, but that could be, you know, that could be your area of expertise could be defined as a problem that you solve for a particular group of people. So how do you, uh, in my experience, having folks go through a positioning exercise, it, without exception means that they have to kind of niche down and narrow their focus on on either the problems that they solve or the people that they solve them for, or maybe in some cases, the particular horizontal specialty, the, the expertise mm-hmm. that they specialize in. That's not my favorite, but some people can make that work. So what do you is that your experience as well? Like it, it almost always involves going from a more general, we do, you know, great work for smart people, you know, down to, or like we have the smartest people and like the, we just, they just talk about themselves on their marketing. Like we're so smart. We've got this great process. We, here's what we do. It's almost like a resume. Um, do you find that, that, that is generally the direction that you counsel folks to do to like get more specialized or more narrow in their, at least in their marketing? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't even, I don't even need to uh, riff on that because I think you nailed it. That narrowing, narrowing and focusing is absolutely the, the journey of being well positioned. Why do you think that, why do you think it used to work to be more general and now that now it doesn't? Well, I, I mean, in, so in my industry, so I'm thinking of motion design studios and production companies, 
animation companies, that th- those kinds of folks. Sure. That if I go back, say, 20 years ago, I'll just put it this way. If you could create a 3D cube and spin it and render it and add some motion blur to it, people were in awe. Like, oh, I found you. <laughs> you're one of those, you know, you're one of only 10 or 20 companies in the entire U.S. that has this ability, this capability. And it was about what software programs you were running and the computers that you had and the pretty facility that they could sit in and do this work with you. And then there was this democratization that happened between software and hardware, the internet, all these things. And if you fast forward to today, you of course have an extremely crowded marketplace and it's crowded for a lot of reasons. So in order to find your target audience, your buyer, your prospects, and actually break through and have them understand who you are and why they should work with you, what your value is, that's a, that's positioning. I mean, that's, that's what, that's, what's going to solve that challenge. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I would agree with that. You know, my, my nine-year-old, he's been doing it for two years. My nine-year-old is like a pro level user of Adobe animate. It, it's like, <laughs> right. it's of course. A, unbelievable. You know, the tools are just everywhere. You can do, the tools are so amazing that, you know, it kind of gets back to, um, I was just talking to someone who said, like, just because you have Microsoft Word doesn't mean that you can write the great American novel. So, yes, he knows how to operate um, Adobe Animate. Can he make uh, cars, you know, or some like Pixar movie? No, there's there's more to it than that. So that I feel like the the focus, uh, but there's a continued emphasis on tools and capabilities and skills that are very, very deliverable e. You yes. know, it's like, oh, we we know how to operate all these tools. It's like, well, so does half the half of Upwork. So what's different about you? And I feel like once the tool landscape, and it's the same in software, which is my background, where like once Rails happened, it was like, watch out web developers. Because, you know, every, well, everybody, web developers loved Rails when it first came out because it made all of the really tedious parts of coding easy. But guess what? Mm. It now massively lowered the barrier to entry to people who wanted to build websites. or like web applications or, you know, complex SaaS applications. It's like, oh, just throw a few gems in there, get your dev environment set up and boom, you're off to the races. So it's great at first. And then it it causes this, um, you know, nine-year-olds can do your job. So Mm -hmm. you have to start thinking, in my opinion, you have to start thinking a little bit more smartly about, well, what, okay, great. We know how to use the tools, but everybody's got the tools. So what's different about us? What are the problems we can solve with these tools or what, well, how do you, you know, in software, it's often about problems or, you know, we're trying to like do these sort of business, a little bit more slightly, perhaps more tangible businessy type of things. So in, I feel like it would be tougher in the creative realm. And whenever I talk to designers, they're always like, you can't measure design and you know, all, you know, <laughs> things like that, which I disagree yep. with, but we could talk about that. So how, how does that work? What are the, what are the, what's the value proposition that a creative firm, maybe a specific one, or you could give like a, a sort of a generic typical one, like what kinds of value can one of these creative firms bring to a business who's going to write them a, you know, a six figure check to do something. It's, they're not writing them. I'm assuming a six figure check to like, you know, mouse around animate They're They want some business outcome. What, what are the kinds of business outcomes or tangible value that uh, creative firms provide these days? Okay. That's, well, that's a, that's a really good question because most creative firms don't actually know, (laughs) right? Because they come from, most of them started as a student 
who then got a job. And as a job, they then went freelance and they started charging for their time, okay, which mm-hmm. is the old sore subject that you and I uh, you know, hate and, and love to talk about. And then when they start a company, they just take that thinking and they move it forward and they say, okay, well, I provide services uh, for this rate and, and at these increments of time and there's my business model. And mm-hmm. so they, they sell that way. In terms of outcomes, really great creative firms that understand what they, the difference they make for their clients. The kinds of outcomes creative firms produce are things like attention, awareness, inspiration, uh, conversion. I mean, it's things like if you make a brilliant animated commercial campaign for some major brand, you have the opportunity to pre- create a piece of content that's going to literally inspire millions of people to mm. take action called pick up the phone, buy this product, or donate to this cause. I mean, there's, there's enormous influence that this craft can produce. But of course, if you are not well positioned, you're going to be going out to the world and saying, we, we, uh, we run After Effects, <laughs> and, we, <laughs> and, and we animate, and we pull keyframes, and we're really good at particle systems. And people are like, what the hell is that? And why would I care? I don't, and, and aren't there thousands and thousands of people uh, doing this. So right. that's, yeah. So that question you're asking is, is a really fundamental one of what's the true value a creative firm produces. And that should absolutely be part of your positioning and message that you're putting out into the world. Mm. I, I want to call something out there that I absolutely love. You just said particle systems. I have no idea what that is. And that's, <laughs> that's the fun part of talking to folks outside of the software industry, because, um, when you hear jargon from another world or another, you know, tribe or audience or whatever you want to call it, another group, then it's immediately, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, imagine the dear listeners, like maybe, you know, what a particle system is. Maybe you could guess, but do you know what kind of like, if you need it or not, you know, like what it's like jargon that the provider or the consultant or, you know, the agency is familiar with and all of their folks that work there are familiar with it, but the clients, but if you use that in your marketing, like, oh, we're, we're the particle system experts, unless the people that you want to work with understand like intuitively or through past experience, what a particle system can do for them. It's, it's meaning it's off-putting. It's like, it shows a massive lack of empathy. Uh, It's, it's very self-centered and, and developers, hopefully when you're listening to this or anybody who's not motion graphics, is like, wait, particle systems, you listed off a bunch of other things I can't even remember. And we do this all the time. It's I know I say we in software, when you talk about, I don't know, SSL or login systems or uh, elegant code or technical debt. These are not terms that are business right. buyers and the business buyers, are the ones you really want to appeal to. These are not terms that business buyers know about or care about. Yes, they can have an effect on the business, but the business owner doesn't want to learn how to to either make motion graphics or build a rails app. They don't care. They don't want to know if they do want to know, they're probably going to be micromanagers. So stay away from them anyway. You want, you want to be able to connect the dots for them in your marketing. Like what maybe, maybe Joel, maybe you can do this for me and the audience now. Like what could a particle system possibly do? Like, like who cares? (laughs) Who cares? Well, that's the, that's the great question. Uh, because not only does your audience need to even know what that is, but like you said, they need to know why they should care. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about jargon. I, uh, I did a meme. This is maybe a year or two ago. I, I created this meme because I get, I get so frustrated when I stumble across 
these creative firms that have this really poor positioning. And my number one rule is what some people call this the number one rule of marketing. And that is it's not about you. Totally. So you should always be approaching your positioning from, oh, it's about the customer, the consumer, the client, whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this meme and it's a great example of the other kinds of jargon that creative firms love to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, and here's how it reads. Imagine going to a website of a creative studio and, and on their About Us page it says, we are a creative studio that is passionate about producing award-winning storytelling. Our unique process is design-driven and highly collaborative. Want to work with us? Give us a call. <laughs> right. That's terrible. Now, now, if you actually saw the full meme, in between all these words, I inserted all of these like reality checks. So I can, I should probably share this with you in case you want to yeah, I'll put post it, it. Yeah, out I'll to post your audience. It. Yeah, it's really humorous because what I do is I say, we, and then in parentheses, it's about us, right? <laughs> and then it's R-A, meaning one of many. So we're not the only creative Ooh, studio. We are one, one of many, A, okay? And it just goes on from there. Mm-hmm. But the point being that if you took that about us statement you could literally copy and paste it to pretty much every other creative studio in the world and it works. Right. So think about what you're saying there. So if, you, if you're a software person, if you're a creative person, whatever, if your positioning language has these cliches and jargons about passionate, award-winning, design-driven, I'm just here to tell you, and I, this is tough love, but your positioning sucks. That's all I can tell you. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, uh, but the good news is once you identify the problem, you realize, oh, there's there's an opportunity to do something much, much better. And it will create a big result for you. Yeah. The, in software world, it's totally like, you know, we solve tough problems. It's like, oh, God, if I see that one more time. And and I actually have a page called, uh, I think it's jonathanstark.com slash soggy that has a whole list of um, these sort of people send in these sort of soggy um, mission statements are about us or positioning <laughs> statements or, you know, main headline on the website. And I yeah. have, I have a disclaimer on the page that says, if you, you know, if you think I pulled this from your site, I probably didn't like just Google for it and you'll probably find yeah. like 25 websites and software developers. I think it's not even as bad as it is for a creative firm, which is basically saying we're interchangeable. We're not different. You know, if you compare that kind of a, kind of, um, uh, that kind of like does you know it's almost like written by committee it's almost you can almost see that they had like an off-site retreat and for three days they're like let's come up with something that doesn't actually turn anyone off and kind of makes us feel good about ourselves but it's this word salad that doesn't mean anything to anybody <laughs> and it's super uh, me focused i often uh, reference spec houses as like a like a milk toast or a soggy positioning as you call it it's kind of like the really generic bland spec house that when you go shopping for a house and you're like, wow, why are all, all these houses beige and they all have the same carpet and they all have whatever. And I tell people it's because their goal was not to build the house that somebody would love to own. It's the house that nobody hates. Yeah. Like I'll buy that house cause I don't hate it. And it's <laughs> in the neighborhood I want. This has got the schools that I want, whatever. And so the same thing is with positioning. And here's another observation I have. And I'm curious if you find this in software. A lot of times, creative firms will position themselves for their peers. Oh, yeah. Not for their clients. They think, they think, oh, well, when my buddies and my peers and other 
competitors see this, they're going to be like, oh, they're one of, they're cool. They're one of the cool kids. They're in, they're in the in crowd. They're one of us, whatever. And it's amazing how many times I have to tell owners and their teams, I do not care what your peers in the industry think of you. I want clients to stumble across your positioning and be intensely curious. That's my number one, like holy grail of positioning and marketing is curiosity that creates a conversation. Yeah. That's it. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it stems out of the kind of reality that you alluded to earlier that you laid out earlier where someone goes to school, they get a skill, they get a job doing the skill after they graduate, they get fed up for one reason or another at the job, they become dissatisfied or laid off and they freelance. And at that point, that point where they become a freelancer, a lot of them don't realize like they just started a business and they need to switch from thinking like an employee or a student to switching like a business owner and there you go. not thinking like someone who does Photoshop or someone who writes Rails apps. Now, well, think about it, right? They, they got a degree in what? They didn't get a degree in conversions or <laughs> audience inspiration. They got a degree in graphic arts. Right. Okay. So they're, they're, they've invested four five, six years of their lives, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in gaining a skill. And so there's this bias towards, well, obviously I'm going to go out to the world and offer that skill. Mm -hmm. And so there's this unlearning of, well, I hate to tell you, the world doesn't care at all about your skill. Right. But they do care about the awesome results you produce. So let's talk about that. Right. Right. It's not to say it's not to devalue the skill or say that the skill is not valuable, but not at all. Yeah. You need to, you need to connect the dots for, your potential clients um, to say, look, yeah, I do this stuff. I have this skill. I do motion graphics or I build Rails apps, whatever. It doesn't matter. What's important is using that skill and others, I can get you results. So if you start to have testimonials on your site, instead of from your peers about like, wow, you know, this is the most elegant code I ever saw from, you know, whoever, you know, DHH, like, okay, that's, cool, I guess, to your friends, but that's not going to get you a job, probably, almost certainly, because your clients aren't going to know who DHH is. Joel might not even know who DHH is. So, Well, here's another thing to add some nuance to that. It might get you a job, but it's not going to get you the kind of job you want. Yeah, fair enough. In the short term, you're going to get some, what I would call commoditized, service-based engagements, where it's about hours and rates and so forth. And this, I think, is part of the big shift that I I try and get a lot of my clients to go through. Like in my accelerator, we spend weeks on this, is the idea of how can I get you to stop thinking of yourself as a service provider and and instead being an expertise, uh, you know, an expert Mm -hmm. who creates value. Because if you start conversations that way with new prospective clients, you are in such a better position to solve their really big problems and command much higher prices, yeah, make win bigger budgets. I mean, it just goes on and on. Right. So yeah, there's a lot just, there. Yeah, it's the that's the whole thing about selling yourself as a pair of hands, or you know, it's like selling your hands or your brains. It, you'd be way better off selling your brains. The hands are typically a lot more commoditized, where you know uh, they can if they can Google for you know, like you said before, this I, I never thought of it like this, but if you say we are a and then list a discipline you know, uh, we are a software dev shop or we're a rails shop. It's almost like you're giving the client clients, Google search terms to go look for other ones. 
and say like, okay, uh, what are all the dev shops? Okay, Rails, yeah, somebody told me that Rails is something we need. So let's search for that and like, okay, sort by price, let's see. Um, $8 (laughs) an hour is the cheapest. That's probably not good. I'm going to go up. I'm going to splurge and spend $20 an hour on a Rails dev. So if, if instead your website talks about the results that you've given to clients, there's, you know, I mean, not that this is the main reason to do it, but just as an example to illustrate the concept, there's nothing for them to Google. They can't Google people who get results for people like me. Like that's not a search term. But if they, right. if they go to a website or someone refers them or they see you speaking at a conference or they hear you talking on a podcast about results that you've delivered that, you know, you happen to use, you know, what are, I, can't, I already can't remember the the pixel cloud or whatever you said before <laughs> the particle particle system, system right uh, there yeah maybe i used a particle system to do it maybe i used a rails app to do it that doesn't matter what matters is the result that came out of this so like for developers it's like there'd be like a massive fight between like three groups of people like oh ember's the best or view's the best or react is the best or angular who cares your clients almost certainly don't care. And if your clients do care, it's probably because you're uh, approaching, you know, for developers, it's probably because you're working with Valley startups that, or, or companies that already have a big engineering uh, team that, or engineering organization that has gone all in on a particular platform. And it's almost for sure that you are then going to be treated as someone who's to be told what to do. And not someone oh, who yeah. gets to design the you know the new status quo for the business. So you you just gave me some really good ammo because I'm not a big fan of SEO. Me neither. And okay, and here's what's interesting. I I was just I'm working with a, a client of mine in their studio that and we're redoing their website and they were asking this question of the developer of oh how do we make sure that we get lots of great SEO, and I sort of stopped them and said hey, developer, don't answer that question because I think we're barking up the wrong tree. It's going to be the tail that wags the dog effectively. Mm-hmm. But, you, but you really nailed it that the, the very nature of someone searching and finding you via Google is you're right. They're not going to search for outcomes and results and all of the real magic and the value that you produce. They're going to search for things like services. And this is, I, you kind of put your finger on why I'm so anti-SEO in general, again, my firms that are killing it, they might get one or two or 3% of their annual revenue from SEO, but that's it. Those mm-hmm. are the, those are the ones that are killing it. Um, because they, they understand it's all about outbound and it's all about repeat and referral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the positioning of course, um, is very much a part of that. But I love how you made that, that point that if that by its very nature, a search term is going to be a commoditized word like rails or in my world, it might be, I need a video mm-hmm. yeah. or I need, I need an animation, yep. but that 99% of those people coming to you are going to view you as a service provider and they're going to be extremely cost conscious. These are these ankle biters that <laughs> are such, such a waste of time because nine out, you know, 99 out of a hundred of them don't, can't afford you. But by the time you've revealed and tried to qualify them and you realize, wow, they came in through this door not based on our positioning, but based on a search term. Mm. This was a this was a giant waste of time. Right. Yeah. If you're a locksmith, sure, do SEO. You know, like local paid pay per click. Love it. But you know, any. I mean, in general, this is broad broadly speaking. In general, you're going to get terrible leads from SEO. Even if you have killer SEO, you're probably going to get yeah. terrible leads. The leads that I think for me, 
I actively don't care about SEO for my own personal business. I couldn't care less. Like, yeah, same. any search that I pop up in is going to be the wrong search. Like, I don't want the person that's searching for that. I want someone who's already beyond that. I, I'm not trying to convince someone. I'm already looking for people who are dying for a solution. So for me, it's all about word of mouth and um, building like an, uh, an audience, like, a, a, a you know, Seth Godin would say a tribe or like, you know, aligning a group of people around an idea, which in my case is, you know, ditching hourly and aligning around an idea. And if you think it's dumb, fine, it's not for you. Just keep billing hourly. Fine. I don't think you're, you know, I don't, I don't think you're evil. I just think eventually you're going to see the light, but maybe not. Maybe you're crushing it doing hourly $500 an hour and you have no end of business. You work like five hours a week. Great. Right. But typically that, that, yeah, it's fine, whatever. But, t- but typically that's not the way it works. It encourages all sorts of bad behavior. And uh, regardless, I don't want to, I can go down that rabbit hole real easy. But the, the point is if somebody, if I came up in a search result and somebody clicked on it, I know immediately I'm going to be on the defense of talking to that person. I'm going to have to convince them that, you know, well, why are you better than any of these other things that popped up to be like, I, I, and I just feel like I would say like, I don't go with them. I don't care. I don't know. I don't know who they are. Like if you want to research everybody and come back to me, that's fine, but I'm not going to defend myself against, you know, the other nine search results. Well, there's, this is where we get into qualifying because you know, what great positioning does is it puts a message out there that I hope, I hope it inspires someone. It makes them curious, like, Whoa, I don't completely get what that is about. And I'm looking at their work. I'm seeing, these cool people. I'm seeing these <clears throat> amazing brands that they've done work for, and I'm curious. So now they're primed for a conversation that doesn't begin with what are your rates, how much <laughs> would it cost. Yeah. Okay, so this is really what positioning does is it is it moves someone down. They start to self qualify mm-hmm. because when somebody is calling you and they're saying, you know what, I think you and I, meaning your company and my company, I think we believe the same things. I think we're on a similar mission. I think we have a a similar dream or goal or aspiration of how to do business and make it make an impact in the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's a much better place to start a conversation than, well, my boss said me to, told me to go search for three creative firms or three web developers and you came up and I need to get a bid, which is code for I'm, I'm looking for the lowest price. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And there's, there's a nuance in there that I don't normally I don't think I normally talk about that I want to call out now, which is that, you know, niching down feels like it's risky to people because they're like, I'm already getting only like two leads a year. So, and I'm trying to get anybody, if I use a smaller net, I'm going to get zero or one leads, you know, it's like, but the, the difference that's not obvious is the quality is dramatically different. So the leads that you do get when you uh, have a more, much more focused positioning and all of your marketing supports that position, the leads that you get are like screaming hot. Like when you get a lead, first of all, you will probably get more. Second of all, when it when they come in, they're like ready to go. They're not looking at anybody else. Like right. you're the only yep. one they're considering. So it's uh, it's so the thing that I don't normally call out is that even if you didn't get more leads and you and it just stayed the same, which it won't, but even if it did, they'd be much better leads, much better clients. That's right. You can have a much better conversation with them. So I think a lot of the people that I talk to about having the why conversation with a with a prospect where you kind of talk them out of hiring you, 
they're, they, they can't envision how to do that because the only, because for them, that first meeting is all about convincing the other person that they are the right choice before they actually know if that's true. You know what I mean? So yes, like, Oh, we need a rails app. Well, I do rails. You should pick me. Yeah. Well, I, I would encourage, I would encourage all of your listeners to be like, notice your human nature and how it, it, it's your worst enemy in those conversations. Because if you find yourself, this is really what I call the addiction to cash uh, that the owners all have. If you find yourself convincing, persuading, arguing, whatever, that that thing is you coming from a place of fear. Uh, you're not coming from a place of abundance, certainly not from a place of expertise. And one, th- one thing I teach is there should always be a moment in that early conversation when you turn the tables on the client and you say, hey, you called me. Why do you think we might be the perfect fit for this opportunity? Exactly. Whoa. Well, now the client starts selling you. And uh, if you listen carefully, you know what they're going to tell you? They'll tell you how they perceive your positioning. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. when you say, why do you think we're the perfect fit? They'll say something like, well, we noticed that you guys won a bunch of awards. And you're like, oh, okay. So they view our position in the marketplace as we're the award-winning shop. Mm-hmm. Or they might say, well, we talked to some of our friends and that you had worked with, and they said you were super collaborative and yada, yada. I mean, whatever it is that you hear, listen carefully, write it down. Oh, yeah. Because that's how you're perceived in the marketplace right there. And you only have that one moment to do that market research. <laughs> Yeah, there's another time that is, I I always, when I'm working with students, I'm like, go back, I say like, has anybody ever referred you to, like a past client or a friend ever referred you to a potential new client? And they usually say yes, you know, they've been in business for a while. Yeah, that's happened a few times. I'm like, go back through your email and see what they wrote. Like what, Mm. when they introduced you to the, to the third party, what did they say you were? Like, how did they do it? That's a great one. Yeah, of course. And you can even say, hey, I want to introduce you to Jimmy here. He is blank, 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 blank. And guess what? There's your positioning in his mind. Mm -hmm. That's how you're positioned in his mind. Exactly. And (laughs) you can even do this as an exercise. I have a PDF on my site called The Introduction Game that you can play with like one or more people where you all sit around. You could be all peers or you could be in different businesses. It could just be like, you know a bunch of, a bunch of, um, business owners that, you know, it doesn't matter and just be like, okay, everybody, who would, who would you want to be introduced to? Like, if I could introduce you to somebody, who are you looking to get introduced to? And they would be like, they probably, a lot of people actually have a hard time answering that question in a meaningful way. They usually say, well, people who value what I do or people who can afford me. (laughs) And it's like, well, let's come up with a character. Like, I want to have a Rolodex moment. I want you to describe someone that you'd like to be introduced to that makes me go through my mind and be like, oh, I know someone like that. And yeah, when let's say Tim Cook. <laughs> yeah, it could be as specific as a name or it could be a title or it could be a particular psychographic like uh, environmentally conscious people or it could be a demographic like uh, soccer moms or whatever, but some kind of yeah, thing. Maybe a brand. It could be, yeah, it could be, right, a particular company. So, you know, I, I would say do get together with a group of friends and and go take turns being in the hot seat and okay you know dave you're you're in the hot seat who you know there's six of us here who would you like us to introduce you to for like potential uh either potential clients let's say and they'll they'll be like i don't know so whoever can afford me like okay dave like let's get more specific what characteristics uh you know go down until they come up can come up with something like well if you know now that i'm thinking about it i'd really like to be introduced to you know men's double people who uh 
uh, men who play doubles tennis professionally. Oh, no way. My cousin is a coach and probably knows some, you know, and all of a sudden you can see how specific you need to get before somebody, the light bulb goes off and the Rolodex moment happens. It's pretty specific. It's, it's usually real specific, you know, before somebody is like, um, another one is like, uh, another one that I saw come up was, uh, uh, this person was like, I, you know, mid-sized companies. Well, what kind of mid-sized companies? Well, you know, like people that need that, that do a lot of work orders. Well, like who does that? How would, how would, what would be a, a characteristic that one of your friends sitting around this table would be able to recognize? And we, and we landed on, do you know anybody who runs a business that has a fleet of trucks? So that becomes very easy to recognize because you can just go to any parking lot and be like, oh, there's a truck that says, you know, like Meridian uh, construction and there's like a landscaping truck and there's like a plumbing truck. And you can tell by the quality of the truck usually how many there are, how good the company is. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's easy to find leads now. I just need to find anybody that has a truck because they definitely have work orders and they probably have a lot of inefficiency there and I can build them a system perhaps to make it more efficient. So, oh, I'd like to be introduced to people who own a business that has a fleet of trucks. There you go. People can actually help you. And I would say this, uh, that even though it's specific, remember, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create a big question mark in someone's mind. It's going to make them, like, like when I craft an elevator pitch with someone, which is that little 20, 30 second uh, sound bite when someone in an elevator says, hey, Jonathan. What do you do? Yeah, what is Stark Studios? What is that? Mm. And you say, boom. We're this, and but our clients tell us that we're that, and you. The best response that you can get from someone is that head turning, that cock of the head when they go, "Huh? Yeah, that's I, actually I your up. best possible response. You won if you get that response. Huh? Tell me more. That's when you go. Look, here's my card. Let's have a drink later in the lobby. Yep. I used to say, you know, imagine you're talking to someone at a, you go to a wedding, you sit down, you're sitting next to somebody that you don't know. That's the cocktail party question is what I call it. It's like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And if Mm -hmm. you say I'm a lawyer, it's like, yawn. But if you say I'm a dog lawyer, people are like, what? (laughs) You're a dog lawyer. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, My version is, um, oh, I sell life insurance. Turn turn and run. Right. But if like when somebody asks me, what do you do? And I say, I'm a rev thinker. Guess what? I've never had one person go, oh, and turn away and order a drink. <laughs> right. So like it's guaranteed for someone to go, what the crap is that? And guess what? I'm already winning the conversation. Yeah. I, uh, here's something, here's a positioning topic that comes up a lot. And that's a great example of it, which is uh, almost everybody that I talk to who's new to this uh, will answer yes when I ask, do you change what you say depending on who you're talking to? Mm-hmm. So if someone asks you what you do, do you change what you say depending on you? I'm a web geek or I, I do computers or, you know, just something really flippant or, you know, you're basically judging them. You're saying like, they won't understand what I do. And it's like, that's fine. You know, I, even if you, uh, even if it's a cab driver or a waiter or, um, Tim Cook, you should say, you know, there's, I think when you get more sophisticated there, you can say more than one thing because you actually can get really good at this. But if you're a newbie and you just, you're talking to somebody and they, you know, Tim Cook jumps on the elevator or you're in a cab on the way to meet Tim Cook or whatever, or go to, to WWDC. If somebody asks you what you do, always say the same thing. And it's great. It's especially good as Joel's saying for them to say, what's that? Because now you've yeah. created a question in their mind. It's fine if, you know, because people are like, well, I don't want to say something they're not going to understand. It's like, why? Who cares if they, how would you even know? You don't know yeah. what this person. Just tell them 
your answer. And if they say, what's that, then great. Now, here's my favorite, favorite positioning hack. When someone says, what's that? And you, in my industry, of course, you, you would, someone would say something like, oh, we are a motion design studio that blank, blank, blank. Mm-hmm. My favorite hack is kill that little word A and change it to the. <laughs> and see if your statement works. Oh, we are the creative, we are the motion design studio that produces blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you realize, well, I can't say that because there's a lot of studios that do that. Oh, oh really? yeah. <laughs> That's Funny. so good. That's so just so put, good. Swap out that A to a the and see if your statement works. And if it doesn't, keep working. Yeah. Find a way to create a statement where the works and you can own it. So it's great when somebody says, hey, you know, so Jonathan, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a whatever dog lawyer. Huh? What is that? <laughs> and you say, oh, well, I am the. And what you say from there is implying I am the only one in the world who does this. Yeah. That Aren't is you so glad to meet funny. Me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. It's funny because now I'm doing it to myself. And I'm like, what would I say if I was, if I was going to say that? I'd say I'm the ditching hourly guy. Yes. You know, beautiful. Or, yeah. Like, what's that? And, and, and imagine if, how ridiculous it sounds now for you to say, I am a ditching hourly guy. Yeah, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> I'm a ditching hourly guy. It makes no sense. Normally right. what I say, if I'm going to, if I'm going to tell my discipline to someone, I usually say pricing consultant, which is kind of like dog lawyer because they're like, what do you mean? Cause nobody's right. ever met a pricing consultant before. Almost nobody. Well, it's funny. It doesn't quite work for you to say the pricing consultant. Nope. It doesn't. Like, you're the only one. Yep. Well, no, not really. But if you said, you know, in terms of my, you asked me about my discipline or who am I specifically? Cause specifically I am the ditching hourly guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a funny question too. The, what do you do question? It, it is funny cause people will, they'll ask, what do you do? But what they're really, they're not asking for the activities that you undertake. You know, like if you, if you ask a massage therapist what they do, they're, they're not going to say, well, I take my thumbs and I jam them into your back <laughs> and I press on the muscles. That's what they do in terms of activity. And, but what's weird is another way you could answer, what do you do in an accurate way would be to, to talk about the results that you provide for people. Like, what do you do? Uh, I help software developers increase their profits. Okay. That's something I do like, but that's outcome based. Like I help inspire audiences to make, to take massive action. Yeah. There you go. That's great. So, but if somebody, normally you expect the transaction to go like, what do you do? I'm a teacher or I'm a lawyer. It's weird because it's not the, the, the reason that it works to re- reply with your profession is because those professions are totally commoditized. Everybody understands what they are. I shouldn't say the profession is totally commoditized, but, but they're uh, established. That's what I meant to say. They're super established professions. People have had experience with these things. You know, uh, it's, it implies a whole bunch of actions that they do and results that they can deliver. But yeah, um, it's categories. And as human beings, we crave certainty, right? So we always go to whatever's the safest, most certain. So I'm just going to reference a category. That way you know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. But here's a thought. Tell me what you think of this. I just, when you were talking about somebody says, what do you do? Maybe an interesting comeback would be to answer the question with a question. Are you asking me what I do or who am I? Because <laughs> if you come back with who am I, that's when you say, well, I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm the ditching hourly guy. Right. That, that's maybe a more interesting way to actually answer that question. Could, yeah. I, I don't know if I could pull that one off. Would, <laughs> a little I, too maybe arrogant or something? Or? Maybe. Maybe. I don't – because I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that's really what they're asking. But I suppose it depends on the context. 
So, wow, geez, I feel like, could we, can we um, sort of wrap up with the time we have left and talk about maybe, a, I'd love to get a little bit tactical, maybe talk about a past experience or a recent um, positioning exercise or something that people can, that you've done for a client that was really effective that people could use to um, uh, either uh, visualize this process that you take people through mm-hmm. or, you know, give people a feel for like, what does this positioning exercise look like? Um, maybe a little bit more holistically. Cause I feel like we've talked about little examples and stuff, but, um, certainly no like process based or takeaways yeah. that they could actually act on. I can give, I can give a, um, a pretty straightforward takeaway because I go into, in my accelerator, this is like a multiple week process of positioning and it's this you know, painful navel gazing for weeks and people struggle to come up with this new language. But I will, I can say this, here's the guiding principle. First of all, know that marketing and positioning is what I call this. Your goal is to create curiosity that creates a conversation. So just remember, you're not explaining, you're not informing, you're not educating. So that's your, that's your top goal. The practical steps is I encourage people to sit down and brain dump all the words and phrases and idioms and funny sayings in three different categories, your purpose, your power, and your personality. So imagine writing down, what are all the things about our purpose? Like, why do we do what we do? And you brain dump and you brain dump and you brain dump. And then what's our power? Like, what's our how? What do we do? What's our unique method, expertise, whatever, and riff on that. And then write down, same thing for personality. And personality is like, who, as an owner, what am I like? Am I funny? Am I gregarious? Am I serious? Am I intellectual? But then my team, the people, what's, what's, our, what's our vibe, right? What's our attitude? All these kinds of things. And then you can, believe me, you're going to go through this exercise and do your brain dump. And then you have to come back and do it again. Because all the, the first 10 or 20 things that come out of your mind are going to be completely lame. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And it's usually the 20th or the 25th or the 30th word that you say, oh, that's actually not only authentic, but it's interesting. It's right. unexpected. Right. There's something really weird about that. So once you find some of those really wor- weird and remarkable, authentic words and phrases, then I draw a little Venn diagram. So I have these three things, my power, my purpose, my personality. And I drop those keywords into that Venn diagram and I say, where do these all intersect And then here's the final move where they all intersect as it relates to the name of my business. So if you're a freelancer or a solopreneur, this doesn't apply. But for example, like one of my clients that went through my accelerator was this motion design studio called First Fight. So the name of their studio is First Fight. And when they started this exercise, they were asking me and the group, does our name suck? Like, should we just change our name? Because we just kind of came up with it. It was like a, a joke at a bar. And we just went with it. And now we're wondering whether or not it's any good. Hmm. And I and the rest of the team or the group, we all said, I think it's kind of awesome. But what can you do with it? Well, I'll just skip ahead and say after they went through this three P's exercise and all this brain dumping and then they did their Venn diagram and they saw where all of this stuff came together around their name. Here, I'll read their about statement. Okay. This is firstfight.tv. So if you want to look at this. They now are owning this positioning because their about statement is lovers, fighters, defenders of form and function. First fight is the creative studio that helps brands hit above their weight with style, motion, 
and that knockout punch you didn't see coming. Nice. Now, come on. I mean, <laughs> you read that and you're like, what? I got to meet these guys. And what's beautiful, of course, is it's authentic. When you meet these guys, this is their vibe. This is their personality. This is who these, these guys are. So that's a good, really good example I can give that uh, this just all happened a couple months ago. They got this done and they sort of uh, went back and refreshed their website. They updated all their messaging. And now when they reach out, when they do email campaigns, even when they do proposals, like it's not a proposal, it's like a fight plan. Uh, you know, when, they, when they throw a party, it's a throwdown. Okay. So nice. there's all of this vibe and personality that they own that separates them from everyone else that out there. So even when you get an email blast from them, you know, oh yeah, <laughs> this is the first fight guys. Because mm -hmm. the way they talk, even the way they visually represent themselves, it just has all this distinctiveness. So is that does that help answer the question? Yeah, of yeah, yeah, totally. And imagine, sure. Imagine the, um, imagine the difference in their, uh, just in-person demeanor when introducing themselves or whatever. What now all of a sudden this, what was self-conscious, like we think our name sucks. So like they couldn't have been, you know, proud to, to say like, oh yeah, I'm the, the founder and principal of, at first fight. Does that suck? Do they think that sucks? You know, right. and now it's just like owned it. Like, first fight y'all let's go that's so cool i love that it's got to be that must have been like a total game changer emotionally for them well it was I, I um they were actually on my podcast and we talked all about their experience and sort of their their leap to the next level by putting these things into play but i'll say this on the most fundamental level so i was a student of dan sullivan if you know strategic coach mm -hmm. he taught me that he would say joel the only thing you have to sell is confidence and of course, I was like, no, back when I ran my studio, <laughs> I have, I do visual effects and I do animation and I do design. And he's like, nope, because on the day that you lack confidence, think how immobilized you are. But on the day that you have confidence, what are you capable of? And I'm like, oh, I can walk into any room. I can talk to anybody. I can go throw down with Tim Cook. And so this is part of why positioning is so important. Yes, there's a tactical benefit. It, it, it gets a message out there. It distinguishes you. But it also gives you ammo. So when you meet somebody at a conference or when you go into a conference room and you got to own the room, you're coming from this place of, I know who I am. Mm -hmm. and, I'm and I'm proud of it. And I'm excited. I have got something really valuable to offer the world. And here I come. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It creates magnetism and it builds trust. Uh, I would I would perhaps argue with Dan, but he'd probably be right, but I would argue anyway. I feel like you're, I feel like what you're selling is trust and confidence is you can't sell trust without having confidence, but sure. Whatever, you know, splitting hairs. Uh, I'm sure he's right and I'm wrong. Um, well, cool. So speaking of your podcast, where can people go to listen to that and find out more about you? Great question. So revthink.com uh, is our website. Uh, you can definitely go there and get to the podcast. The podcast is called the rev thinking podcast. So it's on uh, iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud. And I guess I should also mention I'm going to be speaking at the Bend Design Conference uh, in October. So if somebody wants to meet me or see, I'm going to be talking all about positioning, ironically, from the main stage. <laughs> so it's going to be it's going to be fun to speak to a whole room of creatives and tell them, I think you guys all kind of suck at positioning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's fix this problem. And I'm going to be doing a workshop and, and a bunch of other great stuff. But yeah, revthink.com is the best place for people to uh, get started. Very good. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Joel. 
Oh, man, I really enjoyed it. This was fun. Anytime. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and this is Ditching Hourly. See you next time. Hey, Jonathan again. The next time someone asks for your hourly rate, I want you to stop what you're doing and go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free value pricing email course. That URL again is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time. Or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space. Or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.